yes, oh yes, oh yes. This is the eighth episode of the Midlife Crisis Podcast. My name is Jim Whelan. Uh, this is the first episode of 2024. It took a little hiatus. Thank you all for listening to the past seven episodes. I really appreciate it. Uh, I was asked by a certain someone why I start off with oh yes, oh yes, oh yes. And I think I go back to my, one of my favorite movies, which was uh, It's a Wonderful Life. And uh, when they did the Charleston contest, uh, if you look, George Bailey is in the Charleston contest and his brother talks about having the, uh, who's ever going to win the cup. So he starts off saying, oh yes, oh yes, oh yes. This is a Charleston contest. So that's where I got it from. Uh, episode one, I was just trying to figure this out. I came up with that. So everybody has their their stamp on on everything. So with me is uh, Dave Sturchio here at uh, Chop Sports Uh I just want to congratulate Dave on he's launching a home studio manage uh, home studio managing uh, creating consulting and also I wanted to uh, congratulate Dave for uh, announcing that he was going to be at WrestleCon this year uh, at the end of the month. So if you're a wrestler and you want to stop by and have your own podcast and a question of podcast, you want to autograph. You know Dave was in the, big in the wrestling community. He's got shows here here at a Chop Sports in Matawan, New Jersey. So uh, he'll be there. You can talk to him. Uh, my next guest, um, I'd like to thank my friend uh, Dave, who set this up. Is uh, He was an undersized guard leading the, the, the nation scoring back in uh, 1987. Uh, he was the most prolific scorer at West Point uh, with totaling points of 2,325 points. He comes from a basketball family. His dad played, played uh, for the great uh, Joe Lapshek at St. John's, who was then succeeded by uh, Luke Karnaseka. He... Uh, Back in 1987, him and David Robinson, who played at Navy, coming off their Elite Eight appearance in 86 when they lost to Duke, uh, squared off at one of the the most highly anticipated games in that year, Army-Navy game basketball. You think football, but there's a basketball game. My my next guest was the number one leading scorer. David Robinson was the number three leading scorer. He was a five-foot lemon guard, 165 pounds. He averaged 31 points a game. Uh, in that game, he had 28 points in the first half. Unfortunately, Navy got the best of them, but it, it made for a good, uh, a good, a good game. And you can catch that on YouTube. Uh, it's my pleasure to introduce you the current JV Pearl River coach and West Point's all-time leading scorer, Kevin Houston. It's, I found your story interesting, and uh, you know, leading scorer back in 1987 in the nation. Uh, yeah. Yeah, two hundred and three hundred twenty two thousand three hundred twenty five points for West Point. Um, you know, I heard Dean Smith say, like, when he's talking about Michael Jordan, that um, you know, it's okay if you want to score thirty points, but try you know find me four players that want to want to play with you. So, what was the team strategy back in eighty seven when, or you know, when your time at West Point be uh, have you the focal point of their offense? Yeah, well, you hit the nail right on the head, Jim. You know, for me to do some of the things I was able to do, uh, it required great trust by the coaching staff, of course, and great acceptance by my teammates. And, you know, we were kind of playing along those lines early in the season before I vaulted to national prominence as the scoring leader. But, you know, being at Army, it's a pretty unselfish environment, and all we really care about is is getting the job done. And the best way for us to get the job done that particular year was to have the ball in my hands pretty often 
and I had great teammates who screened. I had great teammates who rebounded and uh, set me up pretty well. So I was very fortunate in that regard. And your family, going back, your dad played for St. John's, played for uh, Joe Lapchek. I think they won the NIT. So you kind of grew up in, in it. Can you just tell me growing up in the Hughes family and you know your introduction to basketball and and having your dad as that have that much exposure at an early age? Yeah, sure. Well, my dad did have a storied career at St. John's playing for a legendary coach in Joe Lapchick. And before that at LaSalle Academy playing for Dan Buckley, two guys that have phenomenal influences in his life beyond basketball. But anyway, my dad was always around it. And was at, when I was growing up, he was a high school basketball coach at Sacred Heart High School in Yonkers, New York. They were part of the Catholic High School Athletic Association. So I was always at his coattails. If we were going to games or practices, there was always an open basket there for me to work on my game and use my imagination. And, you know, as I grew older, that only got stronger. Uh, My dad was influential in getting me an opportunity to try out with the Riverside Church Hawks uh, back in the early, late 70s, early 80s. And back then, that was really the only AAU team in town. It wasn't like it is today with so many teams. But my dad, he always created opportunity for me, uh, whether it was working at his basketball camps, developing fundamental skills, learning how to compete, learning how to be a good teammate. Um, I never coached. I ne- my dad never coached a team I played on, but he always put me in environments where I could challenge myself and where I could improve my game. And, you know, I like to tell a lot of players that I coach now, like, you got to be willing to get your ass kicked sometimes to become a good player. And uh, I certainly got put in very competitive environments. And maybe I didn't always come out on top at the end of the day, but in the long haul, I, I certainly did. And much of that was influenced by my dad. Just to touch a little bit about Riverside Church. I mean, that's synonymous with basketball. Just talk about what what it was. I mean, watching basketball, they always brought that up, especially in New York City, you know, Yonkers area. They talked about Riverside Church. Just, just talk a little bit about you know, what that program was. And and I know, I guess, Walter Berry went there. Olden Polonies had some some big names that ended up going into uh, the NBA. Yeah, and I, and I played with a lot of those guys. Uh, I played with Walter Berry. I played with Kenny Smith, uh, a good friend of mine, Chris Green, who went on to play at Iona, uh, Bruce Dalrymple, Roger McCready. I mean, the list goes on and on of the phenomenal talent that existed at Riverside. And that really was one-stop shopping for competitive AAU basketball back then. Uh, it was run by a guy by the name of Ernie Lorch. Again, gave me an opportunity with no promises, no guarantees. Uh, I, I would either get a ride down to New York City or I'd take the bus down to the uh, George Washington Bridge Terminal. And my dad would get me there, take me to the church. And, you know, we'd go downstairs to a lower basement. Um, not the biggest gym you'll ever be in, for sure. And I remember the first few times walking in there being like, there, there's not space in here for all of us. <laughs> But it was a it was an environment where you had to prove yourself on a regular basis. It was an environment where you didn't always win, uh, but it was a great environment for me to learn how to compete uh, against really top notch players uh, from around the New York City area, and that is what a, what enabled me to really improve my game. Probably was it 
was it self-contained or did you go out? I know it's kind of like not AAU now. Was it self-contained or do you have teams come in and come in and play or was it? Uh, I don't remember too many games at the church. Uh, AAU back then was on a New York City playground, whether it was in Manhattan or in the Bronx. And they threw us some T-shirts and we bought our own gear. Otherwise, uh, we traveled to the games on our own, me courtesy of my dad. And uh, it was just a place where you went out and competed. You know, there were there wasn't like air conditioned gyms and bright sunny indoor environment, bright light indoor environment. It was out on the streets of New York City. And what better way to hone your game and and learn how to compete? And your dad's background, like where did he go to high school and how did he end up at St. John's? I know he was elected to the Hall of Fame, I guess, back in 05, uh the St. John's Hall of Fame. Just, what, what, just recently inducted into the St. John's Hall of Fame, I'd say in the last two years. Okay. Uh, so my dad uh, went to high school at LaSalle Academy in lower Manhattan. And uh, he played for an unbelievable coach there in Danny Buckley, who taught him a lot about basketball and a lot about life. And from there, my dad had the opportunity to go play at St. John's for Coach Lapchick. And he certainly was familiar with their program and what they meant to the New York City area. So it was a great opportunity for him. And he really blossomed there over the three years that he played on the varsity of the coach Lapchick. And it culminated in his senior year with them winning the ECAC holiday festival and also the NIT that year. So at that time, coach Lapchick was retiring. So my dad had a very special bond with him and uh, that still exists to the, to this day. And I know he's close with coach Lapchick's son and they occasionally talk, but uh, it was a, a brilliant basketball time and a, a great time to be a college basketball player in New York back in the sixties. And just talk a little bit about your high school career. Did, I know you you're lived in Pearl River. You still live in Pearl River, New York. Did you go to high school at, at Pearl River High School, or where did you go to where did you go to high school? Yeah, I went to Pearl River High School. Um, graduated there in 1982. I had a chance to play on the varsity team. Uh, well, I'll take that back. I had a play, chance to play on the JV team as a freshman. Uh, with a coach by the name of Jack Gersey, whose brother I also played with at school. And Jack was a great player in his own right at St. Thomas Aquinas College. And he was another really positive influence on me in terms of challenging me, getting me to places down in Jersey City, uh, Hoboken. He'd take me anywhere to just go to, to a basketball game to compete. Played in a few leagues with him. But he really gave me a lot of confidence in myself. And then a year later, I was playing on the varsity for a guy by the name of Joe Ryan, who coached both me and my brother during his tenure at Pearl River High School. Uh, really good fundamental teaching coach um, who was willing to put the ball in my hands and, and let me do some work and let me be creative uh, while I was at Pearl River. And I played on some very good teams there. And you're a prolific scorer in college. Did, were you a scorer in high school or is it something you kind of built yourself self up to yeah, it's kind of something I grew into in high school my senior year I was probably about a 17 or 18 point a game scorer and uh, I went to West Point's prep school before going up to the military academy spent the year there kind of developing maturing a little bit both physically and in the classroom and it was really at that location where for the first time I was like the sole provider so to speak for a basketball team um, I was the only recruited athlete down at the prep school at that time. And it was just a great chance for me to kind of orchestrate the show and, and step up and become a scorer. And I think I averaged probably around 28 a game down there. 
So that was a little eye-opening for me. And my first two years at Army, I actually played with the best player that I ever played with there, um, and maybe ever, uh, Randy Cousins. He was a couple of years ahead of me. And I remember my dad seeing Randy play, I guess it was while I was in the prep school. And he said, you better hitch your wagon to this guy. He can really teach you a lot about playing basketball and, and what it takes to win. And that could not have been more prophetic. It was a great person to learn under, not only about basketball, but about West Point. And upon his graduation, we kind of had a scoring void again. It was my junior year. And uh, I was, I guess I was probably the most capable of, of filling those shoes at the time. And it kind of blossomed from that point on forward. And then my senior year was just, I mean, that was fairy tale kind of stuff, the way the numbers I was getting. Uh, the recognition I was getting and the success our team was having. So something that I grew into as a scorer post high school. And at prep, did did you consider any other places? Because, I mean, your dad played at St. John's. Did they come into the equation uh, as far as like, you know, I know you're an undersized guard, you're a scorer, but like did anybody else look at you uh, like or your mindset was going to West Point? When I was coming out of high school, I was being recruited by Pace University, St. Anselm's College, uh, West Point. And one of the coaches from uh, Pace later went on to coach at Tulane. So he had some interest. I would think when I was playing with Riverside Church, this is after my senior year, we went to a tournament up in Boston called the Boston Shootout. It was an eight-team event with some of the best teams in the country. And Walter Berry was a teammate, Kenny Smith. Um, who went on to play at Arkansas, uh, Bruce Dalrymple, a Georgia Tech star. So we had, we had a loaded team, and we played against some really, really good teams. And, you know, I, was, I became comfortable there. Um, I was, of course, very accepted by my teammates. And my role there was not to score. My role there was really to make open shots and be a playmaker. And out of that, there were some other schools that, I guess, got interested, so to speak. But, again – Probably my size, my my physique uh, probably wasn't conducive to a lot of people thinking I could be a Division One player. And I know at the time, you know, Army was in the MAC then with teams like Fordham, Manhattan, uh, St. Peter's locally, Fairfield, um, and none of those none of those schools I don't think believed in me to be a competitive player at that level. And what makes it kind of ironic is in 1981, my dad was coaching at Fordham as an assistant for Tom Penders. Okay. And they, they had a really talented team back then, talented guards, et cetera. So I thought, you know, people probably look at me at that time and say, you know, he'd be a nice player. And the, the other footnote from the Boston shootout, uh, our coach for that event was none other than Nate Tiny Archibald, who's a oh, historic wow. <laughs> New York City legend. Yeah, sure. Day legend. So uh, he also had some belief in me, putting me into some good situations up there where I could showcase my ability. And uh, I just watched the the YouTube video of the 1987 game against David Robinson. So uh, I guess your senior year, his senior year, it was a senior senior day for Navy. You were the leading scorer in the nation. He was the third leading scorer in the nation. I just watched it on YouTube. If anybody ever has a chance to watch it, it's a it's a really 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 good game. You know, it's like the crowd is packed. You know, there's there's people sitting on the floor. And I think you came in and I think you dropped the uh, 38, but just talk a little bit about the buildup to that game. 
you know, everybody thinks Army Navy football. Very rarely do they think basketball. Just about that time in that rivalry, I think they were in the CAA. You were in the MAC. Uh, did you normally play each other? And then, and having them play on on senior night was that a message that was sent? Or well, we usually finished each other's season uh, at at one of our home courts. Right now, Army plays Navy twice a year in the Patriot League. But back then, as you said, we only played them one time a year. So that was always a huge game for both teams. Uh, back then with Robinson, he was such a force in college basketball. And I think his – well, I know – I think three years they went to the NCAA tournament. In 86, they were a final, final eight team. They lost to Duke for a final four game. So coming into their senior year, they had a really loaded lineup. He was, of course, the, the king, the linchpin to all that. And the environment, as you noted on uh, the YouTube video, it was it was bedlam in the building. And part of that was Army Navy, I'm sure. Part of that was the prominence David and I had reached on the scoring chart at that time. So it was just an amped up place to play. And I really rose to the challenge there. And I always tell people who are watching that game, just watch the first half. That was the best part. Um, I think I went for like 27 yeah. or 28 in the first half. I didn't miss too much. Uh, but the second half maybe prevailed and changed some things up on us. But uh, it was a great environment to be in. And Doug Wojcik, who was the point guard on that team, uh, he's now coaching at Michigan State with Tom Izzo, and he's been a well-traveled coach in his career. And I remember seeing him after the game, and he's like, dude, it's like senior night. My whole family is here. Like you wrecked me and you wrecked my day. Uh, but we, we look back on that and kind of laugh about it a little bit. And we've spoken about it since then. But it was it was a magical afternoon. Uh, we ended up losing, I think, by four or five. They're always really close games that we have with Navy. And, you know, pound for pound, they were probably the better team. But uh, our team rose to the occasion and pushed them to the limits. Yeah. Before you were up late, but I guess they just had a late start. I think 58-54 was a final. But you had, like you alluded to, you had 28 in the first half, and it seemed like they went to the box and won in the second half and kind of shut you down. But conversely, you also shut Robinson down. I think you only had 18 points. And yeah, you, he, had and a, he had a quiet 18, but, you know, he really defensively, he was really difficult for us in the middle. And as a result, you know, we sagged in like really deep on him. We almost played like five guys in the paint, basically defensively, daring people to shoot. And then the first half, they were not successful. And then in the second half, as, as things loosened up a little bit, you know, he had a little more freedom uh, there as well. So uh, great player, great guy. I, I got to know him quite well after that when we were playing in the service together. But uh, that was a, that was a special run for that team. And uh back-to-back -back years we went to overtime and we went down to the wire so just a little bit short but i think i attribute that to one of the best college basketball players to suit up yeah do you ever do you think that west point or navy in this climate would ever repeat that uh having uh, a student athlete you know there's a lot lot more opportunity there's a lot more um you know portal, everything else. I mean, West Point, Navy, there's a commitment there. There's a commitment after after college. Do you think that you'd ever see that again about a leading scorer, uh, either West Point, Navy, or any other service academies? Or Yeah, well, you know, could it happen again where you get an elite scorer at one of those two schools? Absolutely could. It happened, obviously hasn't happened in quite some time. But as, as you mentioned, a lot has changed in college basketball since since the 80s. 
And when you look at the transfer portal, you know, West Point can't benefit from that or, or none of the service academies can benefit from that. Uh, we can get hurt by it because, you know, guys can be coming into the league from other schools. So that that's a challenge. The other challenge for the academies is there there's no entitlement to NIL type of money. So, you know, that makes it a little bit harder to draw as well. But uh, to think that somebody could do it again, like on an individual level, I don't think is impossible to see it happen at both schools at the same time. I think that would be quite a special uh, time if that was able to happen again. But uh, I don't I don't know that we might see that. And obviously a graduate West Point, you have a commitment where what did you end up doing? Uh, and when, when did you graduate? And what did you end up doing uh, after you graduate? graduate so I graduated, uh, I graduated in May of 1987. I stayed on at West Point for about six months or so as a graduate assistant basketball coach. During that time, I was fortunate enough to get an opportunity to go and play with the All-Army team, which is with basically a bunch of soldiers in the Army uh, who were very elite, talented basketball players. So I did that for a few months, and I think then I played with the All-Armed Forces team, which is where I started to team up with David Robinson for a couple of years, uh, and just with some phenomenal basketball players, and we were playing at some really top-notch competition. So I did that until about, I guess, April. And during that time, I learned that I was going to get invited to the uh, U.S. Olympic trials, uh, team coached by John Thompson back then. Yeah. And uh, I went to that tryout, didn't fare as well as I'd want to. So in other words, I got cut. <laughs> um, but it, it was a great experience. Yeah. And then I went down to Fort Sill in Oklahoma. That's where I did my uh, field artillery officer basic course training was down there for a little while, and subsequent to leaving there, I ended up going to Fort Hood in Texas. And one of the unique things, uh, the first year I played with the All-Army team, we were based out of San Francisco area, and we were coming cross-country to play at Camp Lejeune in North Carolina. We made a stop at Fort Hood in Texas that year because there were so many players on our team from Fort Hood. They had a very competitive team there. And while we were there, the person by the name of Ron Foster, who headed uh, Third Corps Sports in the Army, asked me if I might be interested in changing my post location uh, to come there and have a chance to play some basketball. And I found that to be very appealing. So I changed my, my location. I was supposed to go to Fort Lewis in Washington, but I ended up going to Fort Hood. And I had a, a wonderful experience there from a playing perspective. So that, that sequence played out just about every year that I was in. I'd, I'd be playing with the All-Army and the All-Armed Forces team for a few months a year. And at Fort Hood, we actually went out and played on a Division I tour uh, back, at, back in the time. And we probably played like 20 to 25 games against Division I teams, most of them from the Southwest area. And uh, from there, things were, things were really good. And as my time was uh, passing, uh, I think in my third year, I learned of an opportunity um, that we could leave the service uh, before our commitment of five years. So at year three, I chose to leave the Army, and I did so with the possibility of getting a couple of tryouts with a, few, a couple of NBA teams. So I initially tried out with the Washington Wizards, now the Bullets, uh, under Coach Wes Unseld, and then I tried out with the New Jersey Nets, who were coached by Bill, Bill Fitch at the time. 
and the Nets gave me a phenomenal chance, great opportunity, and, and I was just a late cut in that game. Uh, so things didn't pan out maybe how I wanted, but I couldn't have asked for a better opportunity or a fairer chance to do that. And when we spoke on the phone, you said it was really budget cuts. I guess they were looking for people to leave back back in. Back yeah, in yeah. so the Army in uh, 1990 was downsizing, and originally they did not make this offer to West Point graduates. And then I guess sometime after the offer was on the table, they did extend it to graduates of West Point and myself. And I know a bunch of other people that took advantage of that opportunity at the time uh, to leave the service and pursue some other dreams. Well, that's good. And then after that, uh, you know, you, you found that your basketball career was, you know, final. And then I guess you said you ended up working for, for Verizon, but how did basketball stay in your life, in your civilian world? Like how did, how did that yeah, so I, I played in a couple of different leagues. There was um, an Eastern League down in Pennsylvania, which was kind of a uh, weekend basketball league with a lot of former college players, a couple of pro guys. Um, so that was a great opportunity. You mentioned I worked for Verizon. I was there for close to 28 years. And during that time, you know, we had, we had our own teams. We'd play in different leagues around the city. Uh, so, yeah, I, I was finding leagues all over. I was playing down in Jersey Shore League for a team called RKE Lettering. They were out of Belmar. And, like, these leagues were loaded with talent. And now, yeah. at that time, I'm kind of the older guy. <laughs> yeah, because those summer leagues, I mean, those summer leagues down in Belmar, that, that, that's a, you know, that that's, has high power, you know, people locally or also NBA players sometimes play in that league. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. True. And there were definitely, you know, I, I played one year with John Crotty, who was a great player at Virginia. Yeah who played in the I'm NBA sure. for a while. Another guy, Alex Blackwell, who played at Monmouth College, who got some time with the Lakers uh, early on in his uh, career. So, yeah, like loads of, like, talented players. So these weren't just, like, pickup games. These were, like, you know, highly organized, highly skilled games. So I was able to do that, and I always found my way in the gym. I then got into coaching, I think, in 1998, uh, up at Storm King School in Cornwall, Hudson, New York. Uh, a small place that I drove by probably every day back and forth to work for about seven years before I even knew there was a school there. And it was eye-opening, the number of talented basketball players that they had there. So it was kind of a golden opportunity for me to try my hand at coaching and see how that worked out. And I stayed there for probably six to seven years, coached some great, great players. Uh, the best kid I coached was Sammy Mejia. He was at a Roosevelt High School in the Bronx down by Fordham University. Okay. Kind of needed a change of scenery for high school, and he came to Storm King. And he went on to play four years at DePaul, where he was a fantastic player, had a phenomenal career. And then he went on to play like 14 or 15 years overseas, where, you know, he was highly successful, made a lot of money. And uh, he actually spent time living with my family. Um, wow. <laughs> when he was in high school, which to my son, Luke, was you know, he was like a god, a basketball god to have him like you know, sharing the bedroom right next to him. was pretty <laughs> cool. And, um, you know, I was still in really good playing shape back then. And, you know, I would compete against guys in practice. We only had like eight or nine guys. So I was by need a player in practice. And uh, after practice, you know, we'd always play a lot of one on one, two on two stuff. And to this day, it still pains me that Sammy Mejia is the only guy 
that I was never able to defeat on one game. So uh, he likes to remind me of that when we talk, as do other players on the team. So I did that for a while. And shortly after that, my wife uh, fell very ill to an autoimmune uh, disease called scleroderma. And, you know, that went on for a few years and she, she passed in 2009 um, unexpectedly. So I was kind of away from hoops for a little bit and trying to sort some things out and, you know, working some kids, things out with my own kids, you know, it was a tough time. And I guess, gosh, I watched my son play at Pro River High School for my brother, uh, okay. a real treat for me. And then a few years after, I think three years after he graduated, Pearl River came up uh, in dire need of a JV coach as a result of some changes right before the season took place. And my brother was asking me if I knew anybody that might be interested. And I couldn't really come up with anybody. And yeah. I, the second time he asked me, I said, how about me? Yeah. Like, really? Yeah. Was, I'm he like, saying yeah. That, was he saying that sarcastically or seriously? Did he want did he, Secretly, did he want you or is he just? Yeah, saying, I mean, you know? I, we've had a great relationship through coaching. And, you know, we trade a lot of ideas and, and help each other out and, you know, see things differently. I think that adds to our success. But at the time, I don't know, maybe they were just desperate and they needed some guy to come and fill the void. And, you know, I thought I'd do it for a few years, uh, but I'm now in my 10th year doing it. And what's great about it is obviously my brother's the head varsity coach. I have the JV. Uh, My dad has been around Pearl River High School Athletics for a long, long time, including when my son played and before that. And my son got out and graduated in 2011. So my dad's on the sideline. He comes to practice every day catches some of JV, some varsity. Um, he sits the bench, does a lot of statistical work for us right now, and always just, you know, his insight into the game and suggestions that he offers, whether it's to me in my games or my brother in his games. I mean, it, it's a priceless um, coaching piece to have on our bench. And the fact that we all get to do it together is pretty cool. Yeah, that, 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 that's really that's really nice. How's the team, how's Pearl River doing this year? Yeah, well, both our JV and varsity teams were undefeated uh, going into this past week. And uh, we played Nyack, who's a very talented team on both levels. So we both suffered our first defeat uh, just a few days ago. So uh, yeah, tweak a few things, try to get back going. But uh, we've been highly successful um, this year so far. And we've had a good run over the last few years. So it's been a real positive experience for me. It allows me to keep my hand in basketball. I think I'm a pretty positive influence for the kids that I'm coaching, which is something that's important to me. And along the way, you know, I had mentioned my wife had passed uh, back in 2009. And since coaching at Pearl River, well, since then, I I later remarried um, to a woman by the name of Eileen Ballou, also a Pearl River uh, native. And she lost her spouse, uh, John Ballou, in a line of duty accident, FDNY, back in 2005. So... Along the way, we connected and we later married, and I had the chance to coach two of her boys in high school, which was which was a real treat for me as well. And how many how many kids did did John and your current wife have? Uh, John and Eileen had four kids, and at the mm-hmm. time of his passing, uh, they ranged in age from five months to six years old. So, um, you know, she's done an amazing job as a as a single mom raising her kids and. Um, you know, being a great example for them. 
And then yeah, she made the right choice. She said yes and agreed to remarry when I asked her. Uh, <laughs> I like to think so. So, uh, yeah, she's got four. I have three. We have three grandkids as well. So uh, we're very fortunate, very lucky people. Well, it's nice to hear that story, especially you talk, you're open about your personal tragedy. And obviously, you know, a line of duty death, I think it was Black Sunday. That was probably the 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 next tragic incident FDNY had after 9-11. So I, I remember when that occurred and a lot's changed within the department because of that, that, that incident that happened up in the Bronx. So did you, did you two know each other prior? To, like, did you know her? No, her I, husband? I did not know her at the time. Uh, one of my sister-in-laws uh, was living in Pearl River at that time. And she had a daughter around the same age as Eileen's oldest daughter. So, uh, but I, you know, I remember clear as day sitting in my living room, you know, hearing about this horrific fire and the horrific deaths that firemen um, sustained on that day, uh, as you said, up in the Bronx back in 2005. And it did become known as Black Sunday as a result of the firemen who were killed or injured there, as well as another fireman in Brooklyn on that same day. So it really it was the deadliest day the FDNY had experienced since 9-11. And um, yeah, it was really a gut-wrenching thing to watch. And I never would have imagined that I would have um, entered into marriage with Eileen and um, learned a lot more about her personal experience, her kids' experiences. And um, you know, they've young kids without a, without a dad, they turn into some wonderful people. And one of the things we spoke about, her youngest daughter, Catriana, Yes, she's currently a senior at NYU, and she's a dramatic uh, writing major. And I know early on it was a, it was a big struggle for her dealing with the loss of her father. And she has subsequently, in her time at NYU, in the last year, she wrote a screenplay entitled um, "Black Sunday: Trial by Fire," and it's the story of of that day in particular, where her dad and other brave men lost their lives in the line of duty. And then the subsequent um, trials that they went through, both criminal and civil, and the impact that it had, not on not only on their family, but on other families as well. So Catriona has done an amazing job with that, having written this, and with the hopes of it becoming a full-length feature film. So she's invested a tremendous amount of time and her talent into making this happen. And she has a website now, it's uh, johnballou.com. And you can learn a lot more about her story and why this is so important to her and to, to our family. And you mentioned some changes that came about in the fire department. You know, at the time of this fire, the firemen did not have a safety ropes issued to them. And those probably could have saved lives on that day. But now they have become, you know, a standard issue for all firemen. They undergo special training on that out at the fire academy. and. Um, so there have been there have been positive changes to help prevent this kind of tragedy from happening again. Well, listen, Kevin, I, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you opening up your your personal struggles. Uh, I guess basketball has always been therapy, and it's nice to hear that you know you, your brother, and father, and your son. I guess he had success, and your daughter uh, had success on a, on a basketball. That basketball in the use of family is uh, uh, was good therapy, and also. Um, about your daughter i mean you know it's it takes a lot to kind of go there and you know try to sell a story 
especially when it's dealing so close to home. So I, I want you to, you know, th thank you for sharing that. And thank you for offering that when we spoke on the phone and you said, really, nothing's really off bounds. So I just want to say it's, uh, you know, I think it's all part of healing. And I hope that, you know, her screenplay gets picked up. But uh, I know you got to run to practice. So I just wanted to say, you know, thanks for your time, Kevin. And I you know it's really, uh, it's a great story, you know, leading score in a nation. It's a real honor to me you know, to speak to somebody like that, especially, you know, uh, I'm vertically challenged too. So anybody, you know, so anybody likes to, you know, like, oh, I like to see the little guys, uh, you know, sometime rise on top. So, yeah, we, uh, uh, we like, we like filling that role for sure. And, yeah. uh, um, it's always, it's always, it's always a, uh, it's always a good place for me and my family to be around basketball. And it, it's created a lot of opportunities and helped us develop so many relationships over the course of time. And uh, we're really appreciative of that. And if I could, just before we sign off, if I could just kind of piggyback on the story I was telling sure. on the screenplay uh, this April, it's going to be April 27th. Uh, when after John had passed, they did a, a run, a memorial run here in Pearl River okay. for many years, uh, kind of a fun run. And, uh, and we ended it about, I don't know, maybe three or four years ago. Well, they're bringing it back for another run this year to, commemorate the 20th anniversary of, uh, of John's passing um, and the 20th anniversary of the run, I should say. So uh, for any of your listeners out there who might be interested, again, it's John Ballou. That's B-E-L-L-E-W.com. You can learn about Cat's story there. And you can also, if you're interested, participate, uh, sign up for the run on the website there as well. So uh, hopefully a couple of your listeners can make it out and, uh, It'll be a great time. It's a run. It's a race. It's it's camaraderie. It's friendship. They get fed. There's face painting for kids and all that other good stuff. So uh, it's a fantastic event if anyone can make it. Well, it sounds like a great day. But, but Kevin, thanks for your time. Thanks for sharing your story. You think that, you know, when you graduate from West Point, that the road's going to be paved with, you know, uh, prosperity and, you know, um, and an easy living. But here you realize that, you know, even though you're a great basketball player, you're still going to have your own struggles. So, you know, personal struggles and everybody else got their personal struggles as far as, so thanks for you know sharing that and your basketball story. It's pretty unique. So and good luck for the rest of the season and, uh, you know, make sure, uh, you know, you give them, uh, give them hell today at practice. So we're going to give them hell in the game today. So we had a game right. to today. Okay. Uh, got my team excited uh to play there and uh look forward to a positive outcome for the pirates tonight but thank you very much jim for for having me and and letting me discuss my story basketball and beyond and yeah you you brought up a good point like you know we all think our our road is paved you know with goodness as you know when we're at a young age and uh riding high in life and then you know something jumps up and and bites us but it's then we learn how important the relationships that we've developed over time are and how important our families are because uh, that's really what carries the day in the end. And I'm, I'm happy to be part of a great family. All right. Well, thanks Kevin. Good luck to you and thank you for your time. And, you know, thank you for sharing your story. Okay. And, uh, tell Dave I said hello. So <laughs> <laughs> I will do. I'll see him all soon. Thank you very yeah, much. Right. Take care. Bye bye. Thank you all for listening. Episode number eight of midlife crisis podcast. My name again is Jim Whalen. If you this is the first episode. I have seven previews you can have on YouTube here on Chop Sports Network. Thanks for Kevin opening up his story about his daughter, about his personal struggles, and also his time at West Point. Look forward to another episode coming up real soon. 
I'm trying to do a couple of these a month. And like, subscribe, contact me through X at Whalebones if you have any interest in guests, comments, or any other concerns. Thank you very much. Yeah.